Thank you for joining us on another episode of Rants and Revelations. This week, Lance and I discuss what we're calling the walking wounded, which is basically the aftermath of having left a spiritually abusive situation. Some of the symptoms, some of the side effects, some of the physiological and spiritual dimensions of pain and trauma that come with leaving a spiritually abusive situation. We broke this episode into two parts because it was pretty long, so we figured it'd be a little easier on the ears this way. And again, we'd love to answer your questions or point you to good resources. So if you would email us at the number four rants and revelations at gmail.com, we'd appreciate it. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve, a place where theology and everyday life collide. The opinions expressed in Rants and Revelations with Mike and Steve are ours and ours alone. We're not seeking to make a documentary with incriminating evidence. We're just seeking to provide an avenue for us to express ourselves, tell our story, and help anybody who may be blessed by it. In doing so, we have changed some names and places for the sake of anonymity, and to protect those who may not want their information given out. Good afternoon, evening, whatever it is, Mike. How you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. We're back at it again. Yes, we are. We are Steveless once again. We are Steveless, not in Seattle. So, Mike, I have a pertinent question. Okay. A fall question for you. I love fall, and I love questions. How could this go badly? Chili. Yes. Beans or no beans? Beans. Uh-oh. Wrong answer. Oh, so <laughs> you're you're a, not a proponent of beans in the chili, huh? Oh, I like spicy beans too. Okay, but it's not but chili. But it's not chili. Okay. Chili by its nature has no beans in it. I have done way more research on this issue than any human being probably <laughs> probably should. <laughs> Um, but yeah, chili at its inception did not have beans in it. It was beans chili were, con carne. It was just chili. Mm. We didn't have to call it con carne because that's what it was. It was. It became redundant. chili con carne after people started abusing it and putting beans in it. Wasn't it? Uh, now, correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I remember reading somewhere that we actually got chili from the Chinese. Oh, from I've, railroad workers. Interesting. No, I I read that it was developed in Texas. And, yeah. Um, but I didn't I didn't read that it was from the Chinese railroad workers. That's. Uh, I don't know. How, maybe yeah. you have done more research than I have. I don't know how I stumbled across that supposed factoid, but it was on the internet. So how could it be wrong? Uh, well, trust nothing that you see on the internet. <laughs> that was a joke. So you are a, a chilies with chili with beans guy. I I like chili with beans. I was raised on it. Chili with beans, and some little piece of cornbread. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that was kind of my jam. Hey, it's my. I love it. I'll mm-hmm. eat it. But I, um, you know, I was raised that way too. And then I discovered chili without beans, or chili <laughs> instead of spicy bean stew. Okay, and. uh yeah, man, that's, I'm a big fan of chili. So I'm your, also a big fan of spicy beans too, but I'm a big fan of chili. Too. In your opinion, chili without beans better, just different. Chili is chili. You don't have to say without beans. <laughs> I, I feel like I do, though. I feel like I need to specify that. I feel like a lot of people still consider their chili with beans to be chili. Yeah, well, they're wrong. <laughs> um, Chili without beans better. Okay. For me. Okay. Uh, chili, spicy bean stew, as I like to call it. Super delicious. I'll eat your spicy bean stew any day of the week. My wife primarily makes spicy bean stew. Okay. When she makes the dish, and uh, it is awesome. I love it. Um, I just don't think it's chili. All right. Because it has beans in it. Okay. Wow. It's all the same ingredients. It just has beans in it. Just one. And that makes it not chili. So meat complement for chili. What is your, if you had to make 
your beanless chili, your your actual chili, as what we'll we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll pander to your definition. <laughs> um, yeah. What what kind of meat complement are you trying to get going in there? Okay, so it's typically a, uh, I prefer a mixture of pork and beef. What I really want to try, I haven't done this yet. Um, have you ever heard of a place called Slater's? No. Okay, there's a restaurant called Slater's 50-50. Okay. And their burgers are 50% ground beef and 50% ground bacon. That sounds amazing. It is amazing. Slater's, you just received free advertising. I wouldn't mind a gift card in return. Is there one around <laughs> here? Uh, there's one out by my way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so I would love to try that, like a 50-50 mm -hmm. mix of bacon and, and beef in my chili. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know where to get my hands on the actual meat part of it, you know, mm. the, the ground bacon part of that. Mm. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, chili does not have beans in it. Um, okay. That is the word of Lance. Thus saith the Lance. Thus saith the Lance. Okay. Yeah. This is, uh, you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> <laughs> if it's got beans, it ain't chili. It ain't chili. It's still delicious, but it ain't chili. Mm -hmm. I ain't mad at you for making it. <laughs> yeah. But but you have broken some kind of food commandment. Somewhere. If you call it chili, you're just yeah, you've broken the you've broken the food commandment. Oh, there you there you, can you call have a it. pork chop a flame and yawn. It's because it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Yeah. Well, so yeah, our episode today. What are we? What are we talking about today? This was an episode uh, that you actually proposed. Uh, at least the title and the idea for uh, the Walking Wounded. So, oh yes, the Walking Wounded. So we're talking about the immediate and lingering aftermath of being spiritually abused, leaving a spiritually abusive context, and trying to heal. Mm -hmm. Basically, so this part of it really is about the a lot of the symptoms and uh, things experiences that people have immediately and sort of lingeringly after leaving an abusive church. Uh, I wrote this outline basically from experience. <laughs> um, so a lot of it is emotional. Uh, some of it is physical stuff. There are some spiritual elements to it too. So this is kind of a multifaceted. I honestly, I, when I read this outline initially, mm -hmm. I felt the personal nature of it mm. from you. Like I could tell that this is something that you had experienced a lot of. Okay, from your perspective, I'm, I'm glad that's the way the outline came across, <laughs> and it wasn't like, um, what did Sigmund Freud write this or something like? <laughs> Because there is there is a, a bit of psychology stuff in here, sure, yeah, um, and maybe that's um, a discussion we can kind of maybe if we want to preface before I start before I list off some stuff, maybe do we want to kind of talk about parsing out like a, the psychological from the spiritual a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably a wise uh, distinction for us to make. So, you know, I think um, th there's a ton of different ways of describing this or thinking about this. But, you know, people say that we're uh, – our our bodies are three different things, body, mm -hmm. soul, spirit, whatever, mind, body. You know, you got all kinds of different areas to put that in. But certainly um, I would say our spiritual – the spiritual aspect of us um, has an effect on the rest of our – Hmm. bodies. I don't, I don't see how it can't. Mm -hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that the rest of our bodies always fall in line with, <laughs> with where, you know, what we're, um, with where we are spiritually, but, uh, it's certainly, uh, the spiritual supersedes, uh, any other, any emotion or feeling or, hmm. or thought or anything like that. We're, we're commanded to take every thought captive, mm -hmm. right? All those kinds of things. So, uh, so the spiritual supersedes the psychological, but that's not to say that the psychological isn't important. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that the psychological doesn't have, um, true effect 
mm-hmm. either positive or negative on the person, right? Yeah. And um, I think there's a lot of there's a there's a school of thought out there that um, medications that help you psychologically are if you need those types of medications, it's just a sin issue mm-hmm. that you need to correct. And I don't I don't buy into that mm-hmm. at all. Neither um, do I. Yeah, I think that the the psychological part of us can go off the reservation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the other parts of our body, we wouldn't tell anybody with cancer not to get cancer treatments. We wouldn't tell anybody with, um, you know, liver disease not to get their take medicine to help with their liver. I have high blood pressure to take medicine to help with my high blood pressure. Nobody's going to tell me not to do that. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, when it comes to psychological issues. People say, "Oh, you shouldn't take those mm-hmm. take those drugs." Um, I don't. I don't buy that at all. I think that we. Uh, I, I like to actually give God credit for the medical industry and mm-hmm. <laughs> the advances that we've made medically, and so um, I think that those are helpful mm-hmm. in our lives and in our spiritual lives. Even it helps us think straight mm-hmm. to be able to focus on, you know, on the Lord and and on each other. Amen. Yeah, good uh, good distinctions there. Um, I would say the brain is part of the body yeah. as much as your hands, your heart, any other part of your body. And the brain is affected in certain ways by certain stimuli over time. And um, trauma has a, a palpable effect on the brain. It actually has been shown in brain mapping, the neurological side of psychology, I think can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And here's where it gets a little dicey. I'm going to back up just a little bit before I continue with the whole neurological thing. But I came out of the kind of school of thought that if you know anything, psychology was automatically evil because psychology was based on atheistic principles, evolution and whatnot. And Yes, there are a lot of atheistic underpinnings to certain elements of psychology, and yeah, that's something to be aware of. But that whole line of reasoning is actually a logical fallacy called poisoning the well. It's like saying this information came from a flawed source, therefore everything from that source is wrong. It's like saying, well, the snake is the one who said ABC, therefore everything the snake said to Eve was wrong. Well, that's not the way it works. Good lies are couched in a lot of truth. And what happens is a lot of times we throw the baby out with the Mm bathwater and we don't parse that out. We don't rightly kind of divide that issue, so to speak, and, and test what is valid and what's not valid and keep the good and throw out the bad. Mm-hmm. We just chuck the whole thing because some of the underpinnings are incorrect. Mm-hmm. And I think that line of thinking is actually really dangerous for people, especially when it comes to anything involving brain science uh, to, like you said, just throw out all psychological medications because it's from psychology or it denies the, the physicality and the, the human nature of our brains and assumes that all emotion is spiritual mm-hmm. where I would argue that emotion can be physical or spiritual or both. And it can be kind of confusing to figure out what's what sometimes, but like you said, the spirit can supersede all of our, because we're cre- God created our bodies, He created our souls, and He created our spirits. So God can supersede any of our faculties if He so chooses. But that doesn't mean that every emotion we have is spiritually oriented. If you're tired, if you're, you know, worn out, like you feel it f- emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, as much as you feel it physically. Sometimes I know when I get worn out, I get depressed, mm-hmm. and I can feel it, and if I don't get a, enough rest, I'm a wreck mm-hmm. emotionally. If I don't get enough sleep, yeah. things like that. So 
the physical contributes to the emotional and the spiritual contribute contributes to the emotional. So what we want to do today is take kind of a holistic approach to these, this subject and look at it from both the spiritual and the physical or the psychological angle. Um, I am not a psychologist. I'm just a guy who has experienced a lot of trauma and had to live with it. <laughs> so I'm not offering any kind of professional advice. Yeah. Just my experience. And Lance I'm, is a pastor, so a pastor he's got it all not, figured out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist either. And uh yeah, I'm just a I'm just a pastor and uh blessed to be one, but yes, that's uh that's my qualifications here that yeah. I bring to the table. Which is great because yeah. that's a great perspective. So what I want to do to get us started is first we're going to talk about some of the things that can be part of the immediate aftermath of leaving an abusive church. And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just what I remember experiencing. So I'm going to list them off, then we'll go back through and we'll talk about each one a little bit. Okay. Uh, one thing is disorientation, a general sense of mental and emotional confusion. Another thing is missing your abuser. This is really sounds weird, but it's a thing. You can actually kind of miss your abuser. Uh, isolation, feeling isolated, even though you're in a crowd or something, or intentionally isolating yourself. Those are both things that can come from, uh, be sort of the immediate aftermath of leaving. Uh, shame is a big one. Grief, feeling jaded or disillusioned. Fear and hypervigilance, which is basically being kind of seeing red flags everywhere where maybe there aren't actually red flags. Mm -hmm. So to kick us off, let's start with disorientation. So I kind of jumped into this one a little bit. What I remember experiencing, it was a general sense of mental and emotional confusion. And I remember feeling like, what the heck just happened to me? Am I crazy? Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like I was losing my mind a little bit because it was hard to tell which way was up. Yeah. Yeah, you were, um, you were manipulated mm -hmm. for so long that when you kind of escape that manipulation, it's hard to sort of recalibrate, mm -hmm. right, and figure out, oh, what's the right, you know, what's the right direction? Where do I go? How do I, how do I live? I've had somebody telling me <laughs> how I'm supposed to respond, how I'm supposed to behave, how I'm supposed to act. You know, that kind of a thing. And then you get out of that situation and you go like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And I think, you know, the pastoral answer to that would be the, the scriptures are the most reorientating, uh, tool that we have, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, the scriptures tell us who we are, who God is, who we are in Christ, uh, who we are outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so just the, the the scriptures are a, are a good place to sort of reorientate ourselves. And then, you know, the, I think the true escape from that is going to come through vulnerability. And vulnerability is going to be one of the hardest things for an abused person to achieve. Hmm. Um, because as the last point, the hypervigilance, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's out to, everybody's out to abuse me. Everybody's out to manipulate me. I'm not going to let that happen to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so you don't trust anybody, right? And then, uh, so you're not vulnerable with people. You don't let people in. Hmm. And, um, but just reorientating is going to take some time and vulnerability, trust, uh, in people and in an organization called the church, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> um, that you can, you can see that there are right ways that church functions or good ways that churches are, hmm. are, being led and, and that sort of a thing. So, yeah. And I think you hit on a really important kind of topic. There's finding safe people, Yeah, finding some place or some people you feel safe with can be hard, but if you can do it, it doesn't even have to be, um, like a pastor. Yeah. Um, or, and it, it may be wise if it's not mm -hmm. to start, to be honest, because that's going to be really hard to, if you've been abused by a pastor to get into a relationship 
where you have a pastor who you're trying to do counseling with could be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, and you know, that's great if it's something you can do, but um, not if you're going to be in a counseling situation where they're going to blame you for being abused, which unfortunately with some of the, um, some of the biblical counseling, and I really want to put air quotes over biblical counseling because it depends on the counselor a lot of times. Like you, there's some people who do biblical counseling and they consider, you know, the whole person, it's mm-hmm. got a holistic approach to it. It's not just, you know, everything is a idol, mm-hmm. but there is a school of thought where it's just assumed that every single pain and every single um, hurt and emotional problem or anything you have is is directly related to your sin or error. Mm-hmm. So it's either an error in thinking or a active idolatrous sin that you're committing mm-hmm. that's causing your depression, causing your anxiety, causing right. your your disassociation, all those right. problems you're having. And basically it's all on you to fix it. Right. And in a sense, it's just a, a form of victim blaming. Yeah, and it, it totally uh, dis... Um, regards any sort of trauma, mm-hmm. right? That that could happen, and and the effect that I think that that kind of mindset has what I call the pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of counseling, right? Like, hey, toughen up, get back on the horse. What are we doing here? You know, yeah. like, and and you know, be who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, all those things are good, but also like, hey, you've been through something really. Trauma, traumatic here, and let's talk. You know, let's talk about that. Let's take some time. Let's you know, yeah. let's, let's do some of those things. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not a trauma informed or even um, a form of counseling that considers trauma to be relevant, to be valid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it considers trauma to be a result of sin, right? Which, in a sense, is true. Because it is a result of maybe someone else's sin that we've experienced trauma. It's true. And we may have some responsibilities that we want to look at, you know, in the course of exploring all that to maybe how we ended up in a situation like that and stuff. And and that's fine to explore. But to put the responsibility back onto the person as if it's somehow all your fault and it's all your sin and that's why you're experiencing that and your emotions are coming from your sin yeah. I think is short-sighted. Yeah, and and let's acknowledge that trauma exists because sin exists. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like that's that's the we want to acknowledge that. I, I remember early on in my ministry years, uh, people when somebody one person in particular had gotten sick, and they came to me and they said, "Is it because of my sin that I'm sick?" Mm. You know, and I said, "Well." Sickness exists because of sin. Is your particular illness because of some particular sin that you committed? I don't think that that's particularly the way it works. Yeah. Right? It might be. Sexually transmitted diseases are often (laughs) come from, not always even, Mm -hmm. but often come from personal decisions that you made. And so the the illness is particular to the sin that you committed. Mm -hmm. Um, But... You know, that's the the question of the man born blind in John nine. Yeah. When they you know, they came and they said, Is it is it this man or his parents sin? Yeah. And Jesus said, No, neither. It's so that God can be glorified in his healing. You know. Um, and so sin is the cause of all sickness, all trauma, mm-hmm. all everything. Sin yeah. is sin is the cause of all the bad things that happen to us. Um, but it's not always our sin or a particular mm-hmm. sin that we've committed that caused those things mm-hmm. to happen to us. Like you said, it can be the sin of someone else, the sin that was committed to you, mm-hmm. not by you. Right? Yeah. And so, and most trauma is that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, those are really good points, Lance. Um, that's not to say that we don't want to be on guard against sinning because of trauma, because the effects of trauma can actually lead us to unhealthy and sinful coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Um, being kind to yourself and being patient with yourself and that stuff is important. Um, if you are experiencing 
you know, bad coping, you're engaging in bad coping mechanisms. Yeah, you definitely want to address that, but it's not all your fault that you're doing that. There are contributing factors there, but we are responsible for the choices we make as a result of these things. So that's a different right. story, but not all of your emotions are your are a, a consequence of your personal sin right. either. Right. There's um there's a lot of factors. It's complicated. We're complex beings. Um, so it's, it's a reductionistic and unfair, um, paradigm really. I have people tell me all the time, you never give just a yes or no answer. And I'm like, most answers are not just yes or no. Like we're such, we're such complex creatures. Mm -hmm. Uh, sin plays such a complex role that you want to be clear about what you're talking about when you talk about sin? Am I talking about your particular sin? Am I talking about sin in general? Am mm. I talking about a sin done to you? Am I talking about a sin committed by you? You know, I want to be clear about what kind of sin I'm talking about. Then I want to be clear about what, you know, like yeah. all these things. And so there's there's not uh, just simple answers. And I think when we reduce things to simple answers, we take the complexity out of God's creation mm-hmm. and um, and we simplify it too much to where we simplify him. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, give me an analogy for the Trinity. <laughs> the, you know. The, yeah, the last one I heard was cherry pie. <laughs> <laughs> Great dessert, terrible song. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And also bad analogy for the A Trinity. A pie cut into three equal pieces, and this guy said that good cherry pie, the filling runs back in and fills in the cracks. So when you cut it into three equal pieces, there's still just one pie, but it's three equal pieces. And like, that's the last, like, that's one of the more delicious analogies I've heard <laughs> for the Holy Spirit, for the Trinity. For the Trinity, yes. <laughs> yeah. It just makes me want dessert. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I've learned anything, but no. I have become hungry. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about disorientation. Um, Let's talk a little bit about missing your abuser. Yeah. Um, this is something that people experience, and it's not just in spiritually abusive situations, but um, this is something that women who are in abusive relationships with men experience often, or children who have abusive parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a connection to this person that they provide something of value to you, mm-hmm. something of, especially with a spiritual abuser, this is your pastor. This is someone who's supposed to be providing you with, at minimum, the Word of God and sacraments and shepherding within a flock. So you're reliant on this person for something, but they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. So you learn how to get close to the fire without getting burned. Or maybe you do get burned. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you, you put on some asbestos clothes or something and still get close to the fire because you're dependent on this person for something specific. Yeah. And because you're dependent on them for your spiritual food, you, you develop a trauma bond mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they're unsafe, they're dangerous, they abuse you, but they also provide something. If we didn't, if they didn't provide something of value, you wouldn't stick around so long. So once you're out of that relationship, it is not uncommon to miss your abuser. And even though it's very, it's an unfortunate side effect, it is very common Mm -hmm. to feel that. Uh, Speak to that a little bit, Lance. Yeah. I think, you know, it's um, the scriptures say that it's not good for man to be alone. Right now, he says that God said that in the context of creating Eve to be a helpmate for Adam. Uh, but I think that that statement is true. Uh, whether you ever get married or not, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we seek relationships. Abusers tend to prey on people who are in weakened states, whether it's they're lonely or they're depressed, or they're whatever, uh, they tend to prey on those types of things, uh, those types of people. I think in, in Tom's situation, there was some of that, 
But there was also this toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that he projected that some of the men who followed him were very drawn by. That he it came off as being a strong man, as being a strong leader, as being a whatever. And so some of the, you know, Jeff was talking about some of the perplexing mm-hmm. people that, you know, just perplexing why they left. Uh, some of those those men who we highly respected, I think, were were attracted to to that they didn't recognize it as toxic masculinity they just recognized it as masculinity mm-hmm. and they were they were attracted to that sort of this is how you know mm-hmm. this is bravado. a man's world you yeah. know and that bravado and so the abuser is able to to find things that people are lacking in their lives and fill that void mm. for them and um and then he manipulates them and uses, he or she manipulates them and uses them, hmm. you know, sucks every last bit of you know, resource and life out of them and then discards them. Yeah. Basically. Right. And so you've got, you've got man who desires to be in relationship, mankind who desires to be in relationship. You've got people who are preying on those who are vulnerable and weak in a moment. I don't mean they're generally weak. I mean, they're in a, in a moment of weakness mm-hmm. or a moment of a weakened state. And that just sort of takes, it sort of happens. Right. Mm. And then as, as we talked about with the disorientation part of it, you get out of that, you realize you can, you even realize that it was bad mm-hmm. and you get out of it, but now you don't have any relationship. You don't have any, you don't have a, a friends maybe. Maybe all your friends are still under this abusive leader. Yeah. Or maybe, uh, maybe you don't know how you're going to be received by friends that you've that you've not been nice to <laughs> when you were under the abusive leader. Whatever the case is, you don't know where to go, and so you have this longing for this relationship that you've been used to having, mm-hmm. and um, and that that's just you know I think again it's going to take getting involved in a in a church group of some kind, um, whether that's a small group or, a, uh, you know, a church, church family, church body as a whole, or you get into an even smaller, you know, small group type of setting and just getting to know people and, and sort of replacing that friendship, uh, with good godly mm. friendships. Yeah. And it, it takes time. Nothing, nothing's an overnight, nothing's an overnight fix. But you want to find people who are going to point you to Jesus. Yeah. Because Jesus is the, ultimately Jesus is our due north, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we want to, we want to recalibrate and reorient ourselves to him. Yeah. And so. Yeah. And there's a sense in which this person has taken Christ's spot in yeah. our heart, yeah. w- whether they put themselves there or we put them there or both. And Steve brought this up in a, a previous episode that there can be a sense in which it is somewhat idolatrous that we put this person in this position in our hearts and minds, even though they put themselves there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty slow to accuse people of idolatry when they've been abused, um, but it that can be a factor to yeah. a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but what I experienced was more that I got confidence from the counsel I would get. Mm-hmm from Pastor Tom to in different specific areas of my business and my life and different things. Um, when you have someone telling you, yeah, do it this way, you know, telling you exactly how to do something and then it works mm-hmm. for you, at mm-hmm. least temporarily, it's like, wow, this is helping. Like some of the advice he gave me for my business helped me a lot. And like there were certain things he told me that was good advice mm-hmm. and not having that anymore was hard. Mm-hmm. Because I got used to it, and so my confidence level went way down because I didn't. I got dependent on him for decision making, mm-hmm. but he also wanted that. Of course, yeah. So he he wanted me to run all my decisions through him and run all that stuff through him so that he could direct me. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense in which I I became dependent on him for that yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, over time, it was symbiotic. I don't like that, that I, you know, ended up in that position. But 
it it's a it's a kind of relationship that's weird and bizarre in the sense that you're you're dependent on this this other human being for something that really you should be going to God for mm-hmm. you know and Christian friends and counselors and other people yeah you don't just make decisions between you and Jesus mm-hmm. you know with no counsel it says in the proverbs that you know there's wisdom in many counselors mm-hmm. and safety so but it says many counselors not just one right so um, that's the the big difference is it was just one person yeah um, but that contributed to me feeling this big gaping hole mm-hmm. that plus the community that I lost yeah. you know I lost Steve uh, there were some other people there mm-hmm. at that church that I no longer had fellowship with mm-hmm. um, so it's a big loss yeah so yeah you're losing your whole community your whole family mm-hmm. right and um, and so the 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 missing is not just your abuser but the but the community that that you were involved with yeah. as well, um, but it's hard psychologically to disassociate the community from the abuser, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> we were all in it together, kind of thing, right? So yeah, it becomes it becomes a missing missing of your abuser, and the the idea the trauma bonding thing is so real and so deeply rooted that like I honestly think that takes professional mm-hmm. help. I don't, by the way, I don't buy into the fact that pastors are equipped for all this stuff. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I only have the capacity for so many things and I don't have a, I don't have a problem. I've told number of people like, look, I'm not, a, I'm not going to be the right person to help you with this. Let's find you a good counselor or good, you know. That, that's wise though, I think. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, trained as a psychologist or, you know, yeah. like, and I'm not trained as a, as a counselor. I've been trained in the Bible and I can tell you what the scriptures say and I can offer you counsel that way. But there are real psychological issues that I'm not equipped to, to handle. And some of that trauma bonding, you know, type of stuff is like way beyond my pay grade. Yeah. And so point them to the people who can. Amen. Yeah. Don't be shy about finding a counselor. And if you have to go through several different counselors before you find a good fit, that's not uncommon. Amen. Um, and you may find, I found, uh, some people in this area who do are Christians who do counseling. Mm -hmm. They are not biblical counselors. They do Christian (laughs) take on regular, you know, Uh they're licensed therapists. Uh Yeah. who happen to be Christians. Yeah. And yeah. that was really helpful because they're trauma-informed. Yeah. Um, they understand the psychological principles and the spiritual principles. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really helpful for me because I didn't feel like I was just... And I think it's even fine to just go to a regular therapist. Yeah, I do too. I think that there's... Um, I think in particular, if you're... If you're if you have a firm foundation in Christ and in the Scriptures, uh, that you you will do just fine with a regular with a regular therapist, mm-hmm. um, in particular. But even if you're not, I don't think there's I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. But I I do want to say, uh, if you're listening, uh, there are a couple of resources that I would recommend, and I would just ask you to contact us through the email that will be given at the end of the mm-hmm. episode, and I'll be happy to point you in the direction of some counseling agencies that I know of that do online online counseling and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for that, Lance. So, yeah, the trauma bonding side of it is is basically to kind of circle back on that. We've mentioned it a few times, but I want to sort of just briefly kind of hit on that trauma bonding is like a form of Stockholm syndrome where a person becomes enamored with their captors or their abuser and narcissists have this effect on people. It's very common and it's this really weird conflicting schizophrenic, not schizophrenic, but bipolar sort of uh, experience of hating and loving this person 
almost at the same time, sometimes vacillating between the two of either like despising them or feeling like this is the best person I've ever met. And it's very confusing. And it is a result of being a victim of a narcissistic style of abuse where this person is intermittently meeting out their approval and some kind of positive reinforcing behaviors to you at crucial moments where they'll be abusive and then they'll love bomb. Mm-hmm. So it's, they kind of create this, this sort of condition within you through the way they interact with you mm-hmm. over time. Um, and it gets real complicated. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm just aware that I've experienced this. He just plays one on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically like Doogie Hauser. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris of the the, podcast. The NPH. (laughs) (laughs) That that was uh, dated myself with that reference. You did date yourself with that reference. That and the gray in your beard dated you. Yeah, it's not helping my cause. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on from, uh, we've we've talked about disorientation and missing your abuser and trauma bonding a little bit. Mm -hmm. Moving on to isolation. So I remember feeling like no one could relate with what I just experienced. And I felt very alone. Um, You also might self-isolate to avoid further harm, or you might isolate to prevent yourself from having to pretend that you feel okay in public because your emotions could be all over the place and it's really hard to go out and put on a smiley face and pretend like you're doing great, especially if you're trying to find a new church and you're, you're just destroyed emotionally and they're getting up there going, how are y'all feeling this morning? And you're like, you don't want to know. There has been a, well, it's very common, let's just say, to put on airs Mm. when in church in particular, right? Uh, You want to go to church on Sunday morning, anybody, not, not, I'm not talking just pastors. I'm talking anybody go to church on Sunday morning and have everybody else in the room think that you've got it all together. Right. And I reiterate over and over again, and I wish I could remember who to credit this saying to. Um, but there's a, there's a pretty famous saying that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That's well put. Yeah. It's a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So don't come in here pretending like you're on display for us all to, to mm. see and admire. You're on display <laughs> and the goodness of God in your weakness is on display. Mm. Um, but the number one thing that I can, that I know about every person who sits in the congregation at my church and every person who stands behind the pulpit at my church is that we're sinners hmm. and that we don't have it all together. We might as well stop pretending like we do because I know you're faking it and you know I'm faking it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so why are we lying to each other? Hmm. And so there just there just comes to this point of like, why why are we trying to be something other than what we are and what the Bible tells us we are, right? And my struggle and my sin and the thing that I'm going through at the moment is going to be different than yours. I may never have gone through. I may never have felt the way that you're feeling. I may not, if I haven't, if I haven't been through the trauma that you've been through, and even if I have, I, I was thinking about this the other day in regards to even under the same I think this is actually in one of our later points here, mm. but in, in under the same abusive system, I have a different experience mm. with Tom than you had. Yep. You have a different experience with Tom than Steve had. Mm-hmm. And Steve had a different experience with Tom than other folks in the congregation mm-hmm. had. And so even though it's the same abuser, all of our experiences are different. And so we didn't try to put anybody, put people in a, in a box. The only box that you go in is that you're a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> That's the box that we all have sin. We all have things to deal with. And again, I want to reiterate that trauma is not 
sinning. You're not sinning if you're experiencing trauma. I right. just want to re- reiterate that. But the fact is we don't, we don't have it all together. Mm-hmm. And the, the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to come to the church to heal and to be ministered to and to be cared for. And that's, that's really what, what we need. But for so long, the, the church has been a place where we come and put on our best. We put on our Sunday best. Mm-hmm. That's a term, right? <laughs> put right. on your Sunday best. And you, you put your best foot forward mm-hmm. and you make people think that your family has it all together. Look at that perfect little family. You know, the, her, her hair is always just right. The bow is straight. The, you know, everything's perfect over mm-hmm. there. In the meantime, they've screamed at each other all the way to, <laughs> all the yeah. way to church, and you know, and so we're we're nothing but people. I love there's a there's a book called um, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. Mm. It's written by Paul Tripp. That's a great title for a book, by the way. But the yeah. subtitle is even better. <laughs> it says so. The book is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, subtitled People. In need of change, helping people in need of change. Yeah. I love that, right? That's that's what we are. We're people who need to change mm-hmm. and we're helping people who need to change. Yeah. And and that's that's all I think we can ever hope to be. Yeah. And the change comes through Christ. The change doesn't come through me or any other person in the church. The change comes through Christ. And so we point each other to Christ hmm. in those moments. Yeah, what you're talking about touches on a subject that I think could be a podcast in itself, but it's what the Reformers, Martin Luther in particular, referred to as being a theologian of the cross Mm -hmm. rather than a theologian of glory. And part of what you're describing also just falls into the umbrella of human nature, just wanting to put our best foot forward and wanting to appear to have everything together. I think that's just natural to us as humans. But having a theology of glory or triumphalism within the church feeds that in Mm -hmm. us. And what that basically is, if you've never heard of a theology of glory or being a theologian of glory, that's the assumption that God works through visible means the same way the world does, and that his his version of success and victory is going to look like what the world's version of success and victory is. It's it's the health and wealth gospel. It kind of is, but it's also like a subversive sort of health and wealth, prosperity sort of um, belief that even works its way into conservative circles. No, yeah, yeah. I know, but I, what, but at its core, it's that it's the prosperity gospel. Amen. Yeah, that we would that the same people would so adamantly speak out against and yet they're they're guilty of Amen. It themselves. Yeah, it, absolutely. We 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 swear up and down we don't believe in the health wealth and prosperity gospel, but on the other hand we believe if we just obey hard enough or we are just strictly follow certain principles well enough that God's going to that's going to make God bless us in a way that makes sense to the world in their paradigm of success. But the reality is God uses the opposite means from the world for victory, and we see that in the cross. Amen. Is the, he used the opposite means, complete opposite of what the world would consider success, he used to destroy sin and death. Mm-hmm. He used death to destroy death. Yeah. He used, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah. what he did in Christ for us and yeah. how how... Through an apparent defeat, he brought victory. Amen. And we somehow think that it's going to be different for us when Jesus said, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. Mm -hmm. And why do we think that it's going to be different for us? I don't know. Yeah. I guess we just wishful thinking, you know? (laughs) I, I wish it was sometimes, but the reality is that being a Christian, a lot of it is is suffering. With that suffering comes the power of the Holy Spirit and the consolation of God. Amen. And God doesn't expect us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and become some raging success in the world to be a light for him. Yeah. That's not what it means to be a light for the Lord. No. 
but we put that burden on people and we mm-hmm. put it on ourselves and then we end up with all this shiny, happy, fake Christianity nonsense that just makes my blood boil because it's so phony yeah. that you show up to church and you just feel like, what am I, what is happening? Mm-hmm. What is this? Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah. that can lead, going back to our main point, that can lead people to want to isolate from the church and from Christians because of the pressure that comes with that. If you're in yeah. a context where that is prevalent. Yeah. So finding safe people who understand that you're broken, you're going through something hard and you need a friend and someone who's going to just accept you mm-hmm. like that is so healing. Yeah. Uh, Casting crowns has a song and it's actually a, a Christian love song. To be honest, it's, it's about a, a Christian marriage that was falling apart and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the chorus says, you and I were never meant to be complete, so let's just be broken together. Mm. And that line just gets me every time, and not just in the context of marriage, but in the context of just church and friends and whatever. You, you and I were never meant to be complete. Let's just acknowledge that we're broken. Hmm. Let's be broken together and let's point each other to Jesus <laughs> and, you know, keep encouraging one another in, yeah. in Christ. And when we can, when we can be honest with ourselves and admit that, that we're broken together, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of healing and a lot of freedom that comes from that. We've been saying this for a couple of episodes now, and I think it bears repeating, but you are not alone. You are not crazy. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone. You're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, each experience with abuse is going to be different, um, but you're not alone. You're not crazy, and we're we're here for you. Amen. Well, that's going to wrap it up for part one of the Walking Wounded. Thanks for joining us. And again, please send any questions, comments, or inquiries to the number four rants and revelations at gmail.com we'll catch you next time